0: Money here to play. Got some batteries up in my back. I do this every day. I'm making riots up for SNL. I'm wearing Tina Fey, Rocky Pumas like a suit of teddy, like I'm with the shit. So, what the say? I just fly to the city. I don't even take no shit, so I ain't taking no pity. They get ugly like your mother. I just make it look pretty. 2020 looking gloomy. I'm just getting it lit. I'm 5 a 5 a.m. I know why I hate him. Yeah. I'm like Terry McGinnis. Yeah. Future with the wrestling, no loss, all lessons. Keeping these niggas guessing. Ebony's give me essence. I'm up at 5 a.m. I in his family fitness. I know why I hate him. Wow. I'm like Terry McGinnis. Yeah. Future with the wrestling, no loss, all
1: lessons. Keeping these
0: niggas guessing. Ebony's give me essence. it uh, um. It's been a great week on like the business side, on a personal side, it's been getting a little floppy and topsy turvy. Um, I feel like I've been for this year, especially, especially I try to make sure I tap more into the personal side of things because like last year I just put like business first and I didn't heal from a lot of stuff. So I'd much rather just like, you know, focus on pretty much me, the person instead of me, the product.
1: Okay. Has uh, focusing on you, the person, led you to declining or saying more to know things? Or do you feel like it's made you be more open to stuff?
0: I would say that being more focused on a personal side, the word no is your strongest weapon. When people think of like self-care and stuff, which is a meme that I saw earlier, but it's some real stuff. Um, first of all, can I curse on here? Yeah, Sure. Fucking terrific, Um, (laughs) but uh, overall, but like I would say in terms of personal care, like most people really overlook it, but the word no is probably your best friend when it comes to personal care, because a lot of the times we just focus on pretty much just juggling for folks and nobody wants to help us balance what we're juggling. So we would much rather just try to appease people instead of appeasing ourselves. And a big part of that is pretty much worrying about yourself more than worrying others. You can't really like, you know what I'm saying, save somebody from a hanging window if you're hanging from there yourself. So a lot of the times we would be dangling off and try to like pull people up instead of pulling ourselves up first. And a lot of times that comes with saying the word no. No, I can't do that. Refusing whatever the case may be. Like you have to pretty much put your, as the great Cat Williams said, you have to put your star star, player first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of the star player, you're the star player of today's episode. Before we continue to dive in, how do you pronounce your name? Is it Sway or Shway?
0: I feel like this will be when I did score Swayze, I legitimately spelled it out like Patrick Swayze. And weirdly enough, everybody still has like this (laughs) complication of pronouncing it like you know who patrick swayze is you know i mean he's not my favorite actor i just felt like it was a cool thing to do but (laughs) but like it's definitely score swayze you can call me score you can call me swayze i don't care as long as it's either or the two
1: Sure, absolutely. I'll just stick with Swayze because anytime we had correspondence, I'm like, oh, I got to get back to Swayze. And and, and really, before we get started, I really do want to appreciate you following back up with me. I have just been super busy these last few months, but I know how it feels to reach out to somebody or set something up with somebody and then they just kind of ghost. So I do appreciate you uh, getting back to me because this is a conversation that I wanted to have. So as we continue, Mr. Swayze. Where are you from? What was growing up like?
0: Um, I am from the west side of Baltimore, Maryland, kind of hopped from neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, Everything kind of started in Walbrook Junction, uh, 3300 Windsor uh, Road, Windsor Ave to be exact. Um, Growing up was pretty cool. I, I feel like in my earlier days, I kind of just took it for granted because like I was just one of those little like bastards that just didn't appreciate what he had and all that stuff because things could be a lot worse and we're just very ungrateful. But like I, I appreciated my upbringing. Um, both of my parents were very, very loving and very uh, wide open to the ideas of me doing what I want except for a comedian, which is very odd. Uh, <laughs> like, I remember that exact conversation between me and my mother when it came to, like, hey, I, I kind of want to be a comedian. And I know exactly when it was. Uh, this is when the new episode of King of the Hill, that's how old I am. The new episode of King of the Hill came out, and it was the episode with Chris Rock,
1: And he was the comedian out at yeah. the driving school or something it like that? It was that exact episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And... I remember, like, because as soon as, like, the pro, uh, promo for uh, X-Files came up, I was like, damn, I really could be a comedian. This shit could be cool. <laughs> then I asked my mom, she's like, yeah, you can't be a comedian. I'm like, oh, uh, well, that's my first uh, letdown uh, of childhood. Talk about this in therapy later on. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, overall, like, my upbringing was great. Shout out to both of my parents. Uh, they're definitely supportive of what i'm doing with my music and supportive of what i'm doing overall with the brand i just want to be not just the best me but the best son and best family member i can be without shedding embarrassment to the oh. clan and shedding oh. shame
1: yeah uh you might bring a little shame or embarrass every once in a while but as long as it's not a a constant occurrence i think uh we're all just doing the best we can right absolutely you have any siblings
0: three older brothers that's why beef isn't really taken serious with me because what can you say to me that they haven't said to me already uh basically they were my um how should i put it they're my boot camp before boot camp uh mm-hmm. really tough upbringing um i think my obsession came with wrestling because i was just like the jobber of the family i just had to just get my ass whipped every night like, I, I sometimes like it was bittersweet when wrestling came on because like, yeah, I'm about to watch this. Yeah, and then I realized later on as I kept watching, like, wow, they're going to do that shit to me, aren't they?
1: They're going <laughs> the to RKO me. They're going oh, to give me the Bronco Buster. <laughs> that
0: sharpshooter combination with like, no, it was a sharpshooter and the crossface at the same time. If you've got that at the same time as the youngest, oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And <laughs> hey, what's the uh, what's the age range for you and your brothers?
0: All right. Oldest was 84. Um, the next to that was 88. Then my brother next to me was 89 and I was the baby at 91.
1: Ah, gotcha. OK. OK. And you still keep in touch with them now?
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I try to. Let's let's just say that it's not a constant. Hey, you want to hang out? it's more so like i'm doing my thing over here i'm going to check up on you when whenever i find time to do so and then we just live our lives because we're adults with problems that's how mm-hmm. i put it like i think i expected it to be just like all around my family at like 24/7 as a young person growing up and then when you grow up you realize like you're not around them at all so while living your life you still want to make sure like you can connect to whatever they got going on
1: when you were in school, and I'm talking elementary all the way through uh, high school, what was your favorite subject? And and because you liked comedy so much, were you the class clown?
0: I wouldn't even say I like comedy. I just like the idea of entertainment. That's really what it was. Because mm-hmm. I saw the reaction what, that he would do with... Um what do you would do with like the crowd and stuff during the, like the King of the Hill episode? And I'm like, hmm, you can just have people with the palm of your hand just like that. That's very interesting. And that didn't really apply in school that much. I think... I really would have more so of a studious kind of thing. Like I had a huge fucking personality as a kid. I always call I always consider myself like Naruto without like the damaging like issues of like having dead parents and (laughs) being like the black sheep of the entire fucking city.
1: Having a nine-tailed demon inside you, you know. Yeah, you know, growing (laughs) (laughs) pains.
0: But, uh, no, I was pretty studious. Uh, I was, like, top of the class from, like, elementary to middle. Then that good old burnout came around in high school. Then you just started fucking around. Uh, I wasn't, like, a huge, like, troublemaker or anything like that. I felt as though that shit was completely unnecessary. Um, Because at the end of the day, like, you know, you don't want to bring shame to the clan. That's kind of what it came to be. But as I grew older into, like, junior year senior year when I really started taking rap serious it wasn't more so about like should I like be at this big top school it's more so like how can I make this rap shit pop off so most of my attention went to music like as school came about
1: Mm, okay so was that your favorite subject in school did they even still have music in the curriculum because we're not too uh, far off in age and as i was going out of like elementary school and middle school i felt like music and band and stuff like that were uh, treated less and less as a priority
0: mm, i actually started doing like music class in middle school um I was in band class, my band teacher, Mr. Gomes, who shouts out to the boy because I definitely learned like everything that I need to learn right as I have now with the music. Um, I was first clarinet, first saxophone. I haven't played that shit since. Uh, mm-hmm. Then into um, high school, I went to keyboard class, who shouts out to Mr. Austin, um, teaching your boy how to do everything with the keys. Even though I suck now, I, i I credit myself to being like alchemist jr i don't do no chords no melodies none of it give me a fucking loop give me a sample watch me work i don't do any of that shit but um yeah in terms of like favorite subject was definitely either music math or history because all three somehow some way circulate each other you can easily manipulate English because that's Eurocentric and whatever the hell they want you to believe what's good English. And even with history, you can kind of morph it to like certain extents, whereas though, like, you can see a certain thing and they will have you believe that perception for so long, like for Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all the stories that they told that we believe so easily. But when it comes to mathematics and music, you can never bend those two because mathematics is just artistic. Mu- no music is just artistic mathematics because like you have like time signatures four four. That's a whole fraction right there. And then when it comes to timing, you learn how to count time in mathematics, the way I use music and the way I use mathematics, all stems from my favorite subjects because like all that connects to how you create
1: music. When you make your music, Do you have a a mathematical approach to it? Do you consider your music like an equation or a formula?
0: Actually, I kind of do, but I kind of don't. When it comes to production, I don't. I kind of don't. I just do whatever the fuck I do in FL. But, like, I really just throw things in and just mix it up, and hopefully it'll just sound good. But when it comes to writing it, that's a different story. You do a lot of counting with flows, when it comes to the dactyl meter, or as everybody likes to call it, the migos flow, that's that's math. One two three, 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 huh? One two three, one like it's a count, like it's a count with it. And, yeah. You know, you're just filling in spots and things like that. So basically, what I would do um, with my flows, I would find a certain like little like pattern, find out the number for that pattern, and fill in words as I go along. So like, um, what's a great example? The song Shelf, I don't know if you've heard it or not. I got a lot of problems, boom. And it'd be rare that I share them, boom. It's either the resolution, boom, or simply nobody caring, boom. Mm-hmm. And like, you always had that like short rest and then counting afterwards. So like, I always use mathematics when it comes to my music. It's just that like, at this point, it's just subconscious.
1: Mm, okay, so with all of that in mind, and you breaking down how you approach music and how math fits into it, and trying to fit in words into the beat while you're uh, while you're writing, what do you think of Blueface's music? Because his earlier stuff, like he just wasn't rhyming on beat.
0: You know, I love Blueface, and I'm gonna <laughs> say this with all of my heart. There's no irony in this. I'm not trying to be some fucking hipster piece of shit. I love Blueface in terms of like how he makes music. You know why? Because it's jazz. Mm. It's legitimately jazz. Think of how erratic fucking jazz was in the 1920s when niggas is so used to fucking just like regular waltzing and church music and shit with so much fucking like pretty much structure. Break mm-hmm. the fucking structure. Just break it. And you went in there, just do what he does. Nah, 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 like most like people in like on the West Coast, when he had that kind of flow and stuff, there is a certain downs to it. There's a certain mathematical equation with it. But like you can easily break that like, equation just by doing whatever you want. Blueface does it, E40 does it, DJ Quick does it. Um, who else? The new flow that Dom's been using as of late. He does it like it's there. It's just that we're so used to a certain structure. Whenever we meet something that like pretty much goes against that, we automatically put on our walls and reject it Mm where we should be embracing it.
1: Okay. So do you think in a few years time, we'll look back and be like, damn, he was onto something.
0: I mean, look at how... Look at the young boy flow, like and how like painful and stuff like that. How it sounds, where it's just like I'm just trying to do my thing for real. I'm saying, <laughs> like it's just like it has so much pain, but there's no structure in it. He's bleeding out his soul on a track. It doesn't necessarily have that flow. And you know the the Korean side of like music and stuff like that, like K-pop, K-rap. They already picked up on that because they know secretly, subliminally, they know that this is like avant-garde music you don't have to have a certain structure to make this music and it's still great music they know that so they emulate it and copy it and we are the originators of it so who shouts out to young boy and who shouts out to Blueface and anybody that's trying to break the structures of modern day music
1: what did you do after high school first off uh, what was your high school uh, experience like Where, did you still have uh, music and band then
0: uh, I wasn't in band. I did have a band for like two fucking weeks and then we just split. Uh, but like I did have a band. Huge shouts out to my former band met, uh, members, uh, Marty, Connor, and um, I'm forgetting the guitarist's name and I feel bad for it. Bay, huge shout out to Bay. But, yeah, shouts out to them. But, like, I did have a band. We didn't really, like, do much with it, and that was, like, freshman year. Then I started picking up rap again because that was during my metal phase because, like, during, like, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was just, like, heavy into, like, metal. Like, Talica, System, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, like, the old stuff. Not the heavy, like uh Swedish shit where I'm just summoning demons. But like the <laughs> the pretty much like it's hard enough to sell records, but it's not no, it's hard enough to like bang your head, but it's not hard enough whereas though you don't sell records. Okay. That was the kind of the medium that I had. Gotcha. So I did have that phase between like uh eighth grade, ninth grade, a tenth and a tenth. Then I got back into hip hop. Huge shouts out to Lupe Fiasco because like without hearing uh those like fahrenheit tapes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i would not have been back in because like usually when people get back into like rap and stuff like after taking their uh hiatus they get into that uh real hip-hop 94 rugged roar nonsense and starts becoming like real elitist shit which you know has its ups and downs but like i wish i was a little bit more open-minded when it came to you know Mm -hmm. getting back out there so i didn't have a band uh I did wasn't you have, um,
1: I was going to say did you have band in, in school Were you in band?
0: Yeah, I wasn't in band, but I did have a band. And Don't then you. later on I formed a group with my longtime friend Finagle Baby who shouts out to the boy. Um whereas though we were making music since like early elementary school, but like during my phase I just kind of stopped, but we picked back up. So, uh formed a, a group back then called starter gang and it consisted of the members between me him benjamin banger who i still work with uh me him benjamin banger kush um young blessed those are the remaining members from like the original days and as we grew along we still stuck together like after high school and stuff like that and then from starter gang it formed into starter A. Mm-hmm. And then from Stardier because like that starter and Cartier with time because we focus a lot on time. Mm-hmm. And when it came to that, we figured to have that structure, we have we should have some type of like record label or some type of like entity within it, thus forming Finango Park.
1: Mm, okay. And then Finango Park, is that an homage to an actual place or location?
0: Yes, it is the uh, home. It is the... I always call it the motherland, uh, Mother Park. Uh, back where we started making music and stuff like that, uh, Ben will actually live on Finego Park, uh, well, Forest Park, where we actually started moving in like last year or year before. And back then, uh, Finego Baby and Young Bless was in their apartments, like around there. I think it was like Hillside Manor or The Manor, as they used to call it. So, that's how like everything started within that area because like after school we would just go there either go to like young bless house or we would go to ben's house rap on that nine dollar fucking mic that we bought from walmart play on like very heavy ass like beats with no type of mix on it and just like live out our goddamn dreams so i didn't have a band but i did have a band
1: and then what happened after high school?
0: After high school, we just stuck it. We just figured, like, this is it. This is our time. Like, we're, we don't have to go to a place from 8 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock p.m. So, like, the world is our oyster at this point. So, basically, from there, we just kind of struck it, started going hard with music, started releasing music, started shooting videos, and really got the experience of what it takes to be a musician. And... I say with all purity within my heart, I really, really appreciate those days. Those are the days you learn whether or not you want to do this shit or not. Like legitimately getting excited for those hundred play days, whereas they're like, oh my God, I got those hundred plays. Oh, thank y'all so much. And it's like, you really start to like get those experiences of how what it takes to really get to that second point. Of uh, mm-hmm. where you need to be with music and during those times of like after high school i would pretty much just focus on finding out what to do af- with my time and with my money and a lot of those times i spent within a kitchen Cause like immediately after high school, I just went straight into the workforce and I started being in like a cook or any type of restaurant and things like that within those like years. And last year was like my 10th anniversary of being a cook. And ironically enough, that's the year I stopped cooking because of Mm -hmm. good old COVID. That was my time of learning of like, you could either keep doing the shit you do just to, you know, keep a roof over your head or you could live out your dreams and let that shit go from there.
1: Are there any lessons that you learned from cooking that you take with you on your musical journey?
0: Absolutely fucking <laughs> I always say like, man plans, God laughs, and I live by that shit. As a musician, early musician, 12th grade going into whatever the fuck you're doing, you have these big momentous plans of how things are just going to like, oh, somebody's going to hear this record. Somebody's going to give you so much money to go into other studio. And then God just kicks his ass off and you just stay in the kitchen for 10 years. A lot of the times it's not just because of planning. It's because of hope. And pretty much this mental mindset of what should take you to the next level. I was negative Nancy for a strong amount of years, not really thinking that things were going to be like, okay, not really thinking that, you know, people were going to accept me within the city and pretty much just not really thinking that we were even going to make it outside of the city. But whereas though the thing that I learned within the kitchen, the rush always ends at a certain time. You know what I mean? You're going to go home regardless. You can have a line to the goddamn door or if you work at like a restaurant restaurant, you can have a 20-top, then a 20-top after that. It's it's going to hit you, but it's going to be over soon. You're going to mm-hmm. clock out eventually and you're going to go home mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So no matter what treachery you're in, no matter what type of like bad storm that you're in, you're going to get out of it regardless because that's what the plan is.
1: Sometimes I go through that with podcasting. I really do enjoy it. But then other days, I'm just like, oh, it's just, it, it's just difficult because you're just climbing that hill and you, you always hear like it's a marathon and it's, it's not a race, but some days it's just really uh, difficult to get through. Um, something you said, though, kind of sticks out to me. Why didn't you think that you would be accepted in the, in like the, the city's music scene?
0: Well, do you hear how I talk?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not considered one of the boys. I'm not considered one of, like, the locals. Even though I've lived here all my entire life, I've spent two years out in D.C. and then came back home. And, like, I've always considered myself an outcast. I've always considered myself the thorn in the beautiful roles that is the Charm City. And a lot of the times that uh, contrarian thought process kind of like pushes me back a little bit. Whereas though, like it pushes you further from thinking that you're going to reach this amount of success within a city. And that pushes, that holds you back a lot, a lot, especially early on where you really should be at your most positive thoughts. And those negative thoughts really like put you in a place where though it's kind of hard for you to get out of that place. And it took for me pretty much, I would say my second project, Ascore Swayze, when I made the switch between the names. Mm-hmm. When I made Love a Documentary, that's when like my perception of music kind of changed. Cause at first I just started making music to, you know, appease the people try to say, try to tell myself, hey, you need to sell some stuff. Hey, you need to appeal to a certain audience. Hey, you need to do this, that, and a third. But what are you really doing this for? Are you really doing it for the love of music? Are you really doing it for yourself? When you started making music as a child, were the first things you thought were, hey, I wonder if 50,000 people would buy this song. (laughs) It wasn't. When you were a child, the only thing you thought was, man, this is a pretty cool fucking song. Let me give it to myself and see if other people like it. And bringing it down to that matter will really humble the fuck out of you at the very late age of uh, 27, 28, or however the fuck old I was at the time. So bringing the perception back into that spot. That really pushed me to like the next level because I wasn't really thinking of myself anymore now I'm at my most selfish when it comes to my like my music
1: hmm I think that's interesting um that you had those realizations within music and in life that just being more selfish would allow you to excel because we always hear the opposite: be selfless, give yourself over to so many people, you know you feel so better when you give, but a lot of people give. And then you're just like, I, I, I don't have anything to give myself.
0: See, that's what they want you to think, brother. See, (laughs) (laughs) But no, like for real, like that's legitimately what they want you to think. They want you in a spot where as though, like you're going to give so much of yourself to the point where you have nothing else to come home with. Like, what are you going to like sleep on? What are you going to like give to these other people to like, you know what I'm saying? To the point where if you don't have anything else to give to yourself, what can you really do? What can you really, like, sacrifice? And if it sacrificed your happiness and your love for what you do, is it really worth paying that price? And I was really, really fucking close to paying that price, and never again will I even go to the goddamn register to even pay for it.
1: And was that, like, a specific experience that had you almost paying that price?
0: Yes, Yes, it was. Uh, it was the uh, song, ironically enough, my most successful like commercial song, so to speak. Uh, I love Project Pack or Je T'aime Project Pack. And like, I, it was a pretty person, it wasn't say personal song, but it was a song where I kind of just like, Put, put it out there, see what the people do. And people actually liked it. You know what I mean? Like, even for a song that has a hook and fucking French, of all things, and like, has a video theme of a French noir film that's essentially do the right thing on Francais. And like, I gave myself a lot of it within that song, and I pushed it out there, and it got some solid numbers, but it wasn't enough. Mm. And the key is, It'll never be enough. Unless you start chasing that dragon, continue to chase that dragon, you're never going to catch the dragon.
1: Hmm. I think that that's definitely... It's definitely fair, and it could be considered a cautionary tale. You can't get caught up in the numbers. And I I think that there's a fine line that you can walk. Like, you definitely want to pay attention to the numbers because if you're doing something that people like, you're like, oh, okay, I should probably do some more of this. But you don't want to look at somebody else who's like, oh, they got more numbers than me by doing this. Let me just go ahead and do that thing. So I, I can definitely agree with that. In your bio, when I was doing research for this interview, you had said that 9-11 was what really inspired you to dig into yourself and, and start music. Is that true?
0: Yes, it is true. Um, it's, it's always an odd tale to tell people, like, yeah, how'd you start making music? Well, a lot of people died in New York one day. I just figured, you know, let's express myself. But it was more so like the persecution afterwards, whereas though, like, of course, that day sparked everything, but it was the persecution afterwards, whereas though... I'm seeing people be like legitimately blaming muslims for like things a couple people did and to even see black people do that your own skin and your own kin do that where they're pointing fingers and saying hey y'all be doing this stuff y'all shouldn't be doing this stuff for the greater of this country that we get treated so fairly in <laughs> and it kind of put things in perspective like you know Maybe everything really isn't that cool in this world. Maybe everything really isn't that lovey-dovey. So in exchange for my innocence being broken, I was given the gift of self-expression via hip-hop. So I figured the best way to express these thoughts were just like rapping.
1: Hmm. Okay. Do you think that you would have started writing if 9-11 hadn't have happened?
0: I love rap too much. I probably would have started writing a little bit later, but it's great to have a kick point. Whereas though it puts you right in that perspective of like what this world really is and where you can really get out of it.
1: In addition to 9-11, what musical influences did you draw from to start writing?
0: Um, definitely Styles P. Absolutely. I always credit Styles P as the founding Titan. Whereas though he kind of just started everything and just everything just sparked afterwards. And it was the album in general, uh, Against a Gentleman where my brothers would legitimately just force, like, rough out his D-block music in my ears. It's not like I was, like, rejecting it or anything like that because I fucking loved it. It's just that, like, when I really take in those things and take in this, like, environment that I'm in, I really take it for something to take for myself, where I am legitimately listening to these things and figuring out how can I translate this to what's going on in my world, in my life, in my story, in my episode, in my series of me.
1: Hmm. Okay, you've made a few references now, so I feel like I have a better idea of you as a person, and I myself am uh, quite the fan of uh, anime. Um, Do you have any uh, anime titles, you know, shows or movies or anything that you've seen that you can kind of identify with the characters. Like, for example, you say, you know, Naruto, uh, you could identify with some of his, uh, issues, uh, Attack on Titan. I mean, if anybody identifies with any of those characters, they, they need to go see a therapist, but, uh, talk, (laughs) so talk about that then, uh, which character in Attack on Titan do you identify with most? Ooh,
0: that is a great question. So it's almost like saying, like, oh,
1: hey, before we before we, I have not watched season four yet, so don't spoil anything for season four for me. So
0: well, I can't say that yet, then. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, then. All right, all right. Because I ain't gonna lie, like as a person who's deep into season four, yeah, the script has been flipped. Um, it's to a point where um, you would think this person or this character. Has like this type of morality, whereas those straightforward, everything bends. There's always this twist and turn. Nobody's great, nobody's evil. It's just them niggas is in the
1: thick of it. <laughs> yeah, every that's time how we- I put it. Every time I've talked to somebody about it, they've told me like, yeah, you, you like we waited a long time for season two and season two was great. And then season three somehow was even better, but I'm here to tell you that season four is just absolutely like insane. So I'm glad to hear that it's getting such uh, consistent ratings. Um,
0: There was a time where I didn't look forward to Sundays because they were so fucking boring, and I didn't want to see the Ravens lose one more time. (laughs) I actually love looking forward to AOT Sunday, and every Mm -hmm. time it hits 345 on my clock each and every fucking day, I will be having the worst day ever. 345 hit, I watched this episode, life ain't that bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had that. I, I, I that happened to me a few years back though. Like I was um having a bad day about something and it was a Sunday and I was like, Oh wait, but, but there's a new one punch, man. Oh, okay. life, life's not so bad. Exactly. What parallels do you draw between TV and music?
0: To be honest, uh, this whole brand of Swayze TV, I'd say it in every interview just so I can break fourth wall it's a fucking, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gimmick. It's a scam. It's something that you shouldn't even pay attention to. But it's like such a great like setup is being watched as TV. I'm not a TV guy. I'm a fucking rapper at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but it's just the way that I set it up for TV and music. I always see music before I write it. If I can't see it, I won't write it. I won't make it. I won't see a visual for it. I can't see myself performing it. If I can't see a roll, if I can't see a rollout for it, if I can't envision it, if I can't get a vision for it, it won't be created.
1: So when you say you can't see it, like you can't visualize like the idea for a music video or something like that. Is that what you mean?
0: Uh, Not just music video, just overall, if I cannot see it, like if there's, nothing inspired like if you just sit down close your eyes like whenever you mi- listen to music you shouldn't have your eyes open plain and simple because they're using your ears to listen to music so if you sit down listen to music if you can't see anything coming out of this it shouldn't be made so i always wow,
1: try, okay
0: so i always try to sit down close my eyes and listen to everything that i'm making and make sure that it comes from a sense of like a show perspective Whereas though, like, even it started in Love, uh, Love, a documentary, because I figured, you know, now I'm in this space where I can tell my story as a musician. So if you can close your eyes and literally listen to this song and see me kind of explaining a story of what's going on with my music, then, yeah, mission accomplished. And ever since then, I've been trying to nail that in the listener's head, whereas though it's not an album you're listening to, it's not an EP you're listening to. It's a series. It's a show. It's a movie. It's a documentary. It's a double feature with Swayze TV it's pretty much me incorporating the eye with the ear where at first it started off. I started this um, two years ago where I was just like really sad and depressed and sitting in the house, just doing absolutely nothing while everybody's just like, exploding with content and just really just driving it home and I really didn't have much. So I kind of figured, you know, let's just make some content. Let's just see what comes out of this. So it was a Saturday afternoon, uh, right before I had to go to work. I think that's why I was really depressed mm-hmm. uh, right before I had to go to work. And I just made this video like it was a Saturday afternoon movie. And I don't know if, uh, if you're from Baltimore for long, but you ever remember UPN twenty four?
1: I, uh, I I remember UPN. Was it on channel twenty four? Yeah. UPN 20? Okay, okay, yeah. So yeah channel
0: yeah. twenty four, UPN. Yeah. And every Saturday afternoon, they would show some horrible fucking movie that nobody wanted to see, and they just had to fill the time slot, which is understandable from like a, a show person's experience. Now I, I understand it, but like back then, as a kid, I, I was like what the fuck is this you know what i mean (laughs) so like that's exactly the image i was going for for the first video of swayze tv which was saturday afternoon movie and ironically enough when i went to youtube to look for like clips and stuff the first thing i saw when i searched saturday afternoon movie was a clip for the orioles going against the yankees for 11 alive in new york and after that saturday afternoon movie and i'm like holy shit we can do this so i looked for something in regards to like some saturday afternoon movie that was shown i was thinking hmm probably desperado because i mean it's not bad but it's not good so <laughs> i just put desperado on there and i put one of my beats under it which was um what was it it was like oh yeah what uh was jolene in love and hip-hop that's what i called the beat because i sampled uh the song jolene and I flipped it and then I put the beat under it and I figured this is this is it this is just what it needs to be. It's just, you know, saying guitar playing is real heavy-ass bass and drum and shit like that. And Antonio Banderas being a fucking badass and sliding over bars and shooting and shit. And then after that, we just cut it to a Mentos commercial because, like, why the fuck not? (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure that's what what you would actually see watching UPN24 is some weird fucking commercial after some action-packed explosion from, like, Steven Seagal or some shit. So, from there, I figured, you know, we can do more of this TV thing integrating with your music. So, after that, I made an anime AMV, which wind up being Telepathy Club or for Telepathy Club, because that's just how God works. Mm-hmm. And I put, like, the... Uh, you know how usually when you're watching the anime in the intro, there's usually, like, the captions of the words. Like, when you're doing, like, the karaoke thing to, like, the intro. So, I just put the words of the song at the bottom, and it's talking about some... Rapper ass shit, like. <laughs> and I just did that. I clipped, uh, I clipped the end of it, and then I put a Zubus commercial at the end of it because it's supposed to be like something like Tsunami. Whereas though you're watching Tsunami, that's the first clip that you see, and then the anime with the words it. cut it off. At the end of it, Zubus commercial, Swayze TV.
1: Oh, that is dope, man. That reminds me a lot of another guy in the DMV. He does something very similar. Uh, and I was—I've been involved with his stuff uh, for a little bit. I've also met him. Have you ever heard of Ryan Celsius?
0: Ryan Celsius, I haven't, but I definitely want to link with this guy if he's making the same kind of stuff.
1: So he, his style has definitely evolved over the years, and I've—I've met—I've hung out with him a few times, and he like shout out to the guy, like he's awesome. Um, in the beginning, he was just uh, putting music mixes you know lo-fi funk stuff like that uh over footage like literal footage of a bus driver in japan and his like music series is called trapping in japan and he has a bunch of other series he has like sad trap high at work um high in love all of those things um and similar to like you were saying he wanted those to kind of be um, like mini documentaries into kind of like like an introspective of how he was feeling or what he was going through. Because Sad Trap, I think he made that because, you know... So, Is this your guy? Uh, Yep, that's him right there. Um, He was just going through some stuff, so he created Sad Trap. But I think that you should check him out. And he's a pretty approachable guy. Like, nobody knows who he looks like. Obviously, I do because I've met him. But um, I think that you should definitely reach out to him because he could probably, or you could probably see like what he's doing and like see kind of the, the parallels. And he has like a huge anime influence in in um in his stuff as well. And I like that you had mentioned Toonami and, and the zoo books, because it, that's just like you said, if I close my eyes, it's just transporting me back to when I was a kid coming home after school. I'm like, all right, I got, I'm like, fuck fuck my homework. I I'm, I wanna watch Outlaw Star. I watch that's the first retention. part, fuck the homework. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's right man that's right so starting uh your music career you know so many years ago up until now and being a person who had to navigate through their own self-doubt and uh, the things that we all grapple with as humans as it pertains to your music and in the scene now how what do you what would how would you describe the uh baltimore's black art scene now you know
0: I feel like the opinions that I used to give back in the day were pretty much jaded, and it was more so like me kind of not getting what I deserve and blah 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 blah. But I'm gonna be completely full frontal here. Um I absolutely love what's going on. Even better, we're in the series of the internet. Whereas though back in the day where shit really was starting in like an early 2000s with like, you know what I'm saying, 80 dimes and fucking um, Nature's Problem and 10 trees, them them motherfuckers. And, And like seeing them in pretty much in their spaces, you didn't really get an eye of what's going on and the behind the scenes. And I feel like one duty of Swayze TV is to pretty much open the eye of it. And now that we're in this series of the internet, where as though people can be more communicative about what goes on to even not just like make music, but to make it in music, we're more open towards that. We're having more conversations towards that. So I'm very grateful for it and I'm very hopeful for it and very optimistic to what's to come um i have to give a few shouts outs to this topic in general because um miss cam is on a rocket right now and it's going straight to the fucking moon um i think i told her like early on in the year that you should probably take pictures as you go along because it's going to go real fast and you're not going to see it coming and i i wholeheartedly be- believe that because she's a star and I said it in one of the interviews, we should start treating our stars like some fucking stars before another city does and they don't claim us. And that's been one of the problems over the years, whereas, though, we had this thing where we don't pretend what Baltimore really is. You know what I mean? It's Gotham fucking city. Let's just let's just <laughs> put it out there. It's and fucking city. It's Lazarus fucking pit, and everybody's banged. Everybody is banging. like, everybody's pulling you down. Everybody's baking, breaking your fucking back. And you're finding it really fucking hard to come out of that pit. And I feel as though one job for me to do as a creative in the city with some type of platform is not just to dismantle the pit that we have. That's the structure within Baltimore music, but also to rebuild it anew with new ideas with fresh faces with fresh ears with fresh ideals and fresh fresh um what's the term what's the term what's the term there's a better outline of how to really do things in this city instead of just doing the whole like you know what i'm saying clout rules everything around me clean and just overall just like pretty much like buddy buddying up because like we are we, we ain't all fucking friends you know what I mean? We're not all buddies. Like, I, I, this is my first time seeing you, brother, man. Like, I ain't about to, you know what I'm saying? At like, we we known each other for 20 fucking years. Yes. But at another time, but in in that same conversation, in that same sentence, we shouldn't even be looking for the people that we are only friends with right, to push right. to that level. And that's a lot of the times where that even happens, whereas though these people in higher spaces only looking out for people that they're pretty much friends with only looking out for people that like they have their own certain pockets with instead of looking at uh, just straight up talent and straight up like um, overall, just, just your brand in general. It's just that saying, Oh yeah, that's my man's hook him up, you know? And that's been going on for a very long time. And I plan on dismantling that. If you've paid attention to Swayze TV 20% of the people that are on that show are actually my friends. They are. 80%, I don't know them niggas. (laughs) Not one bit. Like, I would say within the 100 episodes of uh, Inside the Rapper Studio that I've done, I've only known about 20% of those people, like, plain and simple. Other 80, I just see them as people that don't get enough shine, that deserve that shine. Other people that don't really get that platform to talk about their music, or even like with Swayze TV Live, when you actually had people to perform where they didn't even know how to get on shows, they didn't even know how to, like, you know what I mean, contact fucking uh, venue owners and shit like that. Whereas though you have that middleman person and put them at that stratosphere. And I feel as though that's the job of us, not just Swayze TV, but people that have platforms in general is to push the p- culture forward and really shake things up instead of just doing the regular structure that we have here that nobody's grown from.
1: Can you talk about your new project? Cause we're going to start wrapping up here, but I wanted to make sure that we hit on this before uh, I asked my final questions. Of course, Let's talk about your <laughs> project. <laughs>
0: But, uh, yes, Telepathy Club is out now on all streaming services, but don't listen to it on streaming services. I want you to buy it on Bandcamp. Uh, that's scoreswayze.bandcamp.com. You're not just going to get the best production. You're not just going to get the best reps. You're going to get the best content as well. You're going to get these series behind the bangers talking about each and not each and every song, but certain songs from people that has contributed with the project, such as Beth Banger, Kush, uh, the executive producer of the project, Benjamin Banger, and a lot more. Um, also getting a match game show between me and Benjamin Banger to see how telepathic we are. I think that was pretty funny. Um, also, you're going to get the trailers that I've done for it, even the trailer with this track list, including the voice of Tom from Tsunami, Steve Bloom, that pretty much um, breaks down like the entire like set of the
1: Mm
0: -hmm. album so ten dollars to pop that ain't much i ain't trying to fucking tax y'all niggas you feel me it's a fucking pandemic niggas is not working ten dollars just to get a lot of that shit when that's like a 30 dollars value so support your boy i appreciate the time here uh to even promote this music and just overall just to have a platform to talk about whatever the hell i'm talking about
1: Oh yeah, of course, absolutely, and I appreciate everything that you had said. And of course, when I publish this, uh, I'll drop a link in the Bandcamp. I've been a huge fan of Bandcamp over the years. That's where I've gotten a lot of like my lo-fi music and stuff like that as well. So I definitely want to put that link there. And I, I think that, I think that Bandcamp has just been an institution in. Um, in like the DIY and independent music scene, frankly, sometimes even more so than SoundCloud. Like SoundCloud is good for getting your music out, but Bandcamp, they like from the work were just like, we're gonna we're gonna have you make some money off of this.
0: I never got a bag from SoundCloud. I've been with Bandcamp for seven fucking years, and them niggas pay me each and every time. I ain't got sh- <laughs> I ain't got nothing bad to say about Bandcamp. Some people have their experiences, which is pretty bad, but guy right here. I've been paying bills bad cat.
1: These are two questions that I always ask uh, my guests. First, what you got coming up next? We know that Telepathy Club is out. Also, great uh, little Easter egg there if you know what anime that is from. Uh, so, what you got coming up next? And uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to collab or just talk with you and get inside the mind of Swayze?
0: Uh, coming up next on Swayze TV, we have the next episode of ITRS. Um, I guess I can spoil it here because it's not out yet. Uh, the next episode will be journalist inspired where we're talking to the freelance writer larry little uh the writer for OK player and the huge explosion of the baltimore scene also talking to a baltimore legend himself i didn't even know this nigga went to city until i talked to this nigga about it uh brian h ward is a complete legend in the game he's been on fucking sports center Mm -hmm. sports center Great guy. So that's coming up next on Swayze TV on the Swayze Cinematic Universe. Telepathy Club is out now. A visual will be shot for it tomorrow, God willing. Hopefully, this whatever the hell is going on outside will permit that. Um, shooting a video for that visuals coming real soon. Um, yeah, uh, that's solid on my end. I mean, I'm just trying to stay safe, and I hope sure so everybody else stays safe um wash your fucking hands uh stay in the goddamn house um wear a mask wear a wear a mask they say wear two masks but i feel like you just overdoing it at that point um (laughs) yeah just just wear a mask wash your hands stay in the house uh tell your grandmother that you love her uh don't go to her fucking house and do it just just call her yeah
1: how can people get in touch with you if they want to collaborate or talk
0: um i'm i'm an easy guy to talk to i'm on my phone 24 7 uh score f swayze on all accounts uh mainly um ig and twitter uh but i prefer if you email me because i don't want to use social media ever again in my fucking life so the email is score f swayze at gmail.com once again that is c-o-r-e f-s-w-a-y-z-e at gmail.com um yeah, that's how you get in contact me with me if you want to collab with anything in regards to content, in regards to music. Uh, I'm not gonna tax you people. I'm not gonna charge you fucking two hundred dollars worse when my numbers don't even look like two hundred dollars worse. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a very like easy person to work with. Trust me. Yeah.
1: Word. That's what's up, man. Uh, well, Mr. Score Swayze, inside the mind of a truly innovative, creative. I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Like I, I really do appreciate it.
0: I appreciate you. I feel like people always say, man, I appreciate you. No, no, y'all don't have to interview me. Y'all really don't. Y'all could really just curve this shit out of my fucking DMs and emails. Y'all could, but you didn't. And I'm always grateful for that. So you, sir, I have to thank. And you know I get around, so please don't make this a a damn shame